0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine pringle Schritter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. I could spend a good 20 minutes or so describing my guest today due to the wealth of information and experience he has had, but I'll try and condense it. He's an expert in the telecommunications and technology industry. He has held many executive C-level positions at well-known multinational corporations He's currently the chairman of a leading tech company and has extensive international experience in his field. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries.
1: let talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.
0: René Schuster is the chairman of the board of Virtual Stock and has an enviable record in growing global telecommunications and technology businesses. He is most renowned for his achievement as CEO of Telefonica Deutschland in which he led the company through the largest IPO in Europe and the most successful DAX IPO in 2012 raising 1.6 billion for Telefonica Group. He grew Telefonica Deutschland from a 3 billion market capitalization company into a 14 billion euro market capitalization organization and in one of the largest telecommunications operators in Europe, establishing O2 as the number one consumer brand in Germany. As mentioned, René has held a number of senior leadership positions in the telecommunications and technology sectors, to include, but not limited to, the CEO of Adico, European CEO of Compact Computer Corporation, Chief Operating Officer at Vimple.com, one of the largest telecommunications services company, Global Marketing director at Vodafone PLC, Senior Vice President at Tulip Packard. He was also a director at IBM and the Managing Partner of KPMG Consumer and Industry Markets, EMEA. If that's not enough, Renault also has extensive private equity experience, having been a partner at Tribune, a European private equity firm, specializing in providing capital and high growth companies in the FMCG retail, hardware, and SAS sectors. A couple of things that were common in the description of Rene by the people he has led or have worked with is that Rene has an amazing sense of humor and is a very intelligent visionary leader. So a wealth of information, experience and expertise today for my audience and we look forward to this conversation. So Rene, happy to have you with us today.
1: Good day to you, uh, Elaine, and uh, a real, real pleasure to be speaking with you and uh, look forward to today's uh, discussion.
0: Yes. Thank you for being with us today. We have quite a bit to get through today, um, but like with most of my guests before you and bearing in mind the current climate, it would be great for my audience if you could just walk us through the sequence of steps, the sequence of events and read the advent of COVID-19 when it hit the European shores to you and your organization's reaction to this and how it has generally affected you.
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. And I think, It's probably um, hit everybody in a little bit of a different way. But, you know, sitting here in the U.K. currently, uh, we obviously watched with intrepidation what was going on in Italy. I think we were all just really shocked and surprised just how big the academic took its hold there. Um, I happened to be skiing with my children in in Austria and just got back in time when uh, I heard about uh, what happened to some German tourists in Austria. And then, of course, uh, it hit the U.K., Um, I really reflected back on my own life, um, having to experience a couple of very interesting economic cycles. And what came to mind was the the dot-com bubble and bust. Mm -hmm. And I reflected just on how fast things changed uh, and how important predictability was in business and uh, stability. And um, I think this uncertainty that just really hit everybody in Europe um, is the thing that made everybody really nervous and apprehensive because you try to figure out where do I go from here? How do I protect myself? What does this mean? And um, many of us didn't know about that. And I mean, probably some of us still don't know some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, as it actually took hold and governments did many um, things to um, have us work from home, et cetera, et cetera, I think the biggest question on everybody's mind was. How am I going to run my business? How am I going to do my job from home?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How am I going to do this without losing revenue for my business? Or how am I going to not lose my customers? Okay. And I think that was the big telltale sign um, that everybody went into as this pandemic, you know, hit our shores.
0: Mm-hmm. And there was more more questions than the answers being provided for, so that was the thing. Um, But if we sort of flip it on the other side, am I right in saying that this COVID-19 outbreak to some degree has been positive for businesses like yours, IT services, cloud infrastructure services, there must surely be an increase in demand and an increase in spend. Your organization is um, really at the forefront in the retail sector. For instance, which have booming online buying and selling activities and the, the healthcare sector, NHS supplies and provisions. We are going to go um, in greater detail about your specific organisation. But can you, for my audience, generally elaborate on the, the boost or positives in this sector?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a perfect storm and it was one of these things where, you know, um, my friends, my colleagues, my family members were either being put on furlough or they were being laid off or... Um, there was intrepidation and fear all over the place. And there I was sitting on a business that was all of a sudden booming because of this. It was uh, not something that you actually um, feel comfortable about talking about. Mm. But if you look at um, you know, the ability to um, um, extend your range of products and services online, technology is, uh, is a key factor. And of course, <laughs> nobody was going to the high streets. Nobody was going to the shopping centers, but yet people have to pay rent. And people have things they need to sell that are sitting in inventory, and if you weren't really um, in a position where you could leverage this technology or actually had it up and running, you were you were in a really bad place. Hmm. Uh, if I reflect on my telecoms experience, you know, again, what a great business to be in! Everybody's at home and using the internet. Um, you couldn't you couldn't ask for anything uh, better, where consumers and businesses are actually using the bandwidths that you've uh, produced yeah. and created in order to to make their their lives work. I think the real challenge that I think everybody had, including me, is um, does remote working really work? And, um, and I think that was really put to the test for a lot of people.
0: And that kind of leads me quite nicely onto my next question. And you, you talked about the people around you talking about furlough and downscaling and hibernation, and terms like that, and closures. We all know these are common terms and, and activities during the, the COVID-19 period. Um, but one of the things that's not widely talked about, which we just touched upon previously, is about the rapid upscaling requirements of many of the businesses due to the sudden increase in demand. And um, as mentioned in the introduction, you have a track record of successful business expansion and rapid growth, but surely this is unprecedented. I know this phrase is overused, but how do you go about growing um, upscaling a business in these COVID-19 times in the shortest of periods. This will, in some cases, require infrastructure changes, major financial injection, HR maneuvering, I don't know, technological add-ons, et cetera. Many organizations had to literally grow overnight to meet the expected and exponentially high customer demand. What have you seen that you could share with my audience in this space, or just simply talk my audience through um, what that would entail? In particular, how does an organization make this possible in the timescales demanded?
1: I think that's an excellent question, and I think a lot of people struggled with it um, wholeheartedly. And uh, again, I just reflect on my own experience. And I mean, the one thing that you need to keep in mind is um, you know, to have that entrepreneurial spirit. In other words, um, take a risk. Um, pretend, if you can, that the business belongs to you. If you own the business, what would you do? Mm-hmm. How would you service your customers? How would you react quickly? It's times like this where perhaps you know, this is what makes humans so great. Our ability to innovate, our ability to create, our ability to execute on that um, is the name of the game. This is where you don't hide behind processes. This is not, this is not where you hide behind procedures, and, which are all very, very important when you've got a stable, predictable economy and, and business and customer behaviors, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, this, this was an extreme situation, which means you had to react quickly. And we all know that when you react quickly, sometimes you make mistakes. And I think that the key here is to be tolerant, is to accept some of these mistakes because it's only through these mistakes that you're going to learn. And there's a lot a lot of people that have never, ever been through something like this. You know, if you're, if you're a young person under the age of 40, you've never even seen any of this stuff before. You've never seen a dot-com boom and bust. Mm-hmm. You don't have any experience in this stuff. And then um, so I think the key is this entrepreneurial piece that, that – that I mentioned and the ability to take risks going forward. And then last but not least, um, well, there's two more things that you gotta have in the back of your mind. First one is you need to have the money and the cash flow to do the things that you haven't planned for. We all work to budgets. These budgets are allocated. How do you actually take something that you've allocated in a particular budget for something else? And how do you defer that to this situation that we're in now?
2: Yeah.
1: Again, that, that needs agility. That needs command and control. That can take decisions and make decisions. Not everybody's comfortable in that kind of a situation, and not everybody wants to be in that kind of a situation. So you need to get the leaders of the future um, in the positions to make these real-time calls and decisions. Mm -hmm. And the last piece, and I hope we can talk about this um, a little bit later throughout our broadcast, is um, there is a profound activity that's happening on the back of this pandemic, and technology has a big Uh, factor to play in it and that is the change in consumer behavior we're seeing consumer behavior change like never before Um, it has been forced upon us all of us including business etc but when stability does come back how can we predict which bit of this consumer behavior is actually here to stay for good all
0: right okay interesting interesting let's hope we can expand on that later on in this conversation Um, but let's now talk about the organization that you chair virtual stock Um, virtual stock works with some of the best known names in retail as well as healthcare i was particularly drawn to the healthcare sector and the work that's done there the edge for health e4h popped up a few times as one of the service offerings can you explain to my audience what that is all about perhaps first tell us about The Edge, and then The Edge for Health, and how it came about, and who do you work with in this space?
1: Excellent. Um, Yeah, so The Edge for Health is a a really, really compelling uh, value proposition based on innovation and creativity, Um, but it's also an experience that we all already know, and that experience is uh, Amazon. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, Everybody knows the Amazon experience as a consumer. It's a great experience. Some people love it. Some people love it. Some people don't like it, some people see it as the big threat, Um, and other people see it as a real value proposition. In the B2B space, that doesn't really exist, and that's the sweet spot that um, Virtual Stocks sits in. Basically, we are the Amazon experience uh, for the B2B. In other words, we provide the environment for super well-known retailers in the UK market to expand their product range and not to hold inventory. So if you can imagine if you're trying to buy something from whoever and, um, that person or that company's out of stock, um, we have such a rich relationship with over 10,000 suppliers in the UK. Chances are that product that you want to buy is coming from a supplier that's already on our network and on our product. So what we do is we give the entire customer experience over to the brand, to the retailer. You think you're dealing with that retailer. And really behind the scenes, you're actually dealing with us in the form of a white label. What we do is we provide customers with the products real time. We drop ship it. We send it to their house or wherever they want to pick it up. And they can track and trace everything just like you can on Amazon. um, And the entire customer experience is owned by the retailer. What we did is we took that experience and we transferred it into the healthcare market. You can imagine the healthcare industry in the UK is extremely fragmented. There have been numerous attempts to try to centralize it, but it is extremely complex. And the best thing in the world is actually to have a decentralized product that fits the needs of, you know, the trusts and the hospitals and, and their customers and their clients and their patients. And that's what we do. We allow hospitals to buy every single consumable item that you can buy anywhere else um, through the edge for health. And um, it's being rolled out right now. And you can imagine it had a profound impact in improving um, PPE, all different types of um, products and services that the healthcare industry actually needs with one click, one touch of the finger. So prior to the um, to the pandemic, we were actively rolling out with our business partner SBS mm-hmm. um, trust and and uh, you can imagine, um, once we spoke with the government and spoke with the trusts and the hospitals, um, they saw the great opportunity to alleviate a lot of pressure that many um, people were dealing with from a lack of supplies, etc. cetera.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, <clears throat> we're now in over 50% of the trusts in the UK and you know, clearly it's our aspiration to, uh, to provide our service for everybody in the UK. Oh,
0: wow. I was gonna ask you about what was happening during the, the PPA, PPE sorry, scandal, but you kind of sort of answered that question for us.
1: All that activity was was run by the government because it was so important mm-hmm. to them. We were just um, part of the solution. There were other solutions as well, yeah. uh, but the good thing is it looks like they're getting a handle on it.
0: Okay, okay. Let's stay um, with your organization, and you've touched upon it in terms of who you work with in partnerships. You talk about SBS and the, the NHS Trust. Um, and one assumes you will continue to do so so but what will be interesting is how how do you see collaboration developing post-covid and and how will the the relationships that you currently have if at all as a result of the pandemic change um probably a big question here but would organizations consider unusual emergent acquisition opportunities to answer and, and grow technology capabilities and or responses effectively be prepared for the next pandemic or the next, um, I don't know, economic disruptor. What's your thoughts on all of this?
1: I think, again, that's a really, really good question. And it's probably almost the perfect timing question for people to yeah. consider. Because My honest opinion is I don't think many people are actually thinking um, the way that you're um, putting this question. And that is I think people are still just trying to recover from the situation and, and, and the shock they went through. I think starting to prepare for the future and do I have the technology and if this happens again, is it something that I need to acquire? Is it something I need to build? Is it something that I can actually purchase or rent or get off, get them a commercial off the shelf solution? I, I think these are the questions that every single business, whether you're small to medium or one of the big super enterprise customers, you need to be asking yourself this question. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? And, and the big question is, How am I going to protect the revenue that I currently think I can do? How am I going to increase it if possible? How am I going to keep my customers satisfied? And how am I going to keep my employees satisfied with the technology that's going to give them new skill sets and new abilities to deal with the future going forward? Because I think it's a bit naive to think that um, there isn't a second wave coming um, or that something like this may not happen again in the future. I think. This is the big shock to many governments is that perhaps people talked about things like this, but were they really prepared for what happened and um, you know i i I see with um, deep sadness what's happening in the United States um, and every single day I just see it um, being more and more out of control mm-hmm. and I feel for my former colleagues in my former home uh, of what's going on over there and they, they've got to get control of this mm.
0: so effectively. We, we are sort of still in this sort of shocked survival mode and, and you're saying organizations aren't even thinking of planning and not thinking ahead in that space. Right. I
1: think so I think, I, I think if you are, I think you're one of the few, I think, um, you know, well done you for thinking this way. I think people are still probably in shock mm. and still trying to figure out, you know, um, how's this going to settle down? And uh, where do I go from here? As opposed to, you know what you're saying which is okay get control look forward yes. if this is going to happen do you have all the tools do you have all the techniques do you have all the people how are you going to do this and how is your business going to survive these are excellent questions
0: yes, and who could i potentially work with or merge with in order to mitigate that those are sort of that's the next steps as, as we say um, okay um If it wasn't before, um, despite the fact that many of us um, had adopted this form of working prior to the pandemic, remote working is now the norm and naturally organisations are wiser and will be more prepared for another outbreak or a different um, pandemic. So one suspects that um, IT, cloud-based technologies, will play a larger role in business continuity planning. How is your organisation preparing for requests for help in this space? I mean, resilience, flexible, secure networks, and DR systems. Uh, can you talk around that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good uh, good question. Again, um, you know, our core capabilities is uh, is our SaaS product, mm-hmm. and um, you know the insights that we can bring. So, what we're looking at from our perspective is how can we replicate our platform into different industries. You know, mm-hmm. so far we're in retail. So far we're in healthcare. We're now looking at construction industry, working in a few other industries where it's really quite reasonably easy. I hate using that word because nothing is easy, but let's just say for today, quite easy to replicate it into different uh, industries. That's one way for us to help out. What we um, are also doing is we're actually engaging with those companies who pride themselves and have track records of actually transforming companies for the future. These would be you know, big consulting companies like Alex Partners or uh, Ernst & Young or Oliver Wyman. And, you know, mm-hmm. these are real professional consulting companies that pride themselves on not only the strategic side, but also operationally. How do you get company from plan A to plan B? We're, we're talking with these organizations and really trying to figure out how we can sh- leverage our insights combined with their insights so they can offer these tools, techniques, and new ways of doing things. Because you know, the big transformation, the big ERP implementations of, of the past aren't gonna happen for the next five years. It just takes too long. It's too complex. It has too much risk. You've got to convert too much data. And the businesses' case is never really truly, if we're honest, line up. So I come back to what we talked in the earlier uh, in our program here is, I think this is where innovation creativity and time to market and speed to market is is going to be a real differentiator and if you've got something that can do that i think you're going to be on top of your game
0: mm. okay that's interesting because I, um i want to the next question is a fairly general question and you touched upon it in a previous answer when you talked about uh companies individuals tapping into their entrepreneurial gene um and i'd like you to answer this it doesn't have to particularly be but in your sector, but just a, a general question. Um, what companies, organizations, institutions, all known entrepreneurs that, and even that you've talked about, have you seen doing something to mitigate or even work through the current situation that has really impressed you? Um, have you seen or observed anything innovative as a, as a result of the, the current climate? It's a big open question. Please answer it how you want.
1: So again, you know, thank you. And uh, you know, what a great question. Um, I have to say, and I, and I hope that many of your listeners are on the same wavelength as I am, but I am absolutely blown away on what's going on in the biogenetic engineering industry um, and the way that we're looking for remedies to deal with this virus and how we're actually trying to improve people's lives. The combination of this breakthrough technology, how it links to IT software, artificial intelligence um and just downright biogenetics is is really incredible I, I have to say that's got to be the new frontier if you're um, you know if you're in this industry as far as i'm concerned you know i grew up in the 60s and 70s uh, mm-hmm. my hero were the astronauts full stop you know to think that you can actually get on the on the moon with something that uh, was only in sci-fi well i think the astronauts for the future are people that are in biogenetic engineering and what they're doing to actually help mankind i have to say it's incredible uh, the adoption rate the breakthrough and the collaboration that we're seeing on indeed. an international yeah. scale is yeah. really quite quite compelling um, fabulous, um, and, uh, you know i wish them all the luck they uh, they possibly can get in order to be successful
0: Right, indeed um it has been said that this pandemic has expedited as you talked about by bio- genetic industry but expedite digitalization general and digitalized solutions for many organizations do you think this pandemic has squashed the fear of digitalization and everything digital or in fact increased it um, it would be interesting to get your experience and your thoughts on that
1: so i mean i you know that the easy answer for me is to say yes and no to that you know without a doubt and i think we have all proven because we've been doing this now for three months um, you can survive. And yes, uh, remote working does work. And yes, you can steer your company, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And there were probably a lot of naysayers and a lot of doubters. And there was also a lot of people that says, you need to actually be in front of me, or I can't realize if you're doing a good job. There's a lot of people that like to micromanage, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. I think that has been broken. I mean, I really do. I think, I think um, management has a far, far greater trust with its employees and with its uh, individuals on how you do things and how you run your business. And I think the big question, and I think this is what you're asking and that is, is it going to last? It's going to last. And, or are we going to go back to our old ways? And the thing that pops to my mind is I think part of the answer is it really depends on how the economy bounces back. So we've, we've heard this now from the chancellor, from other economists, are we going to have a V-shaped recovery? Are we going to have a U-shaped recovery? Or are we gonna have an L-shaped recovery? Each one has different connotations. My hypothesis that I would submit to you and your listeners is that if it's a V-shaped, in other words, we're gonna recover a lot quicker than we all thought. I think there is a risk of us going back to our old ways because we, we can and uh, it's easy. It's easy to forget what we went through. If we go to a U-shaped, in other words, it's gonna be a prolonged maybe six months, a year, a little bit further, where economies continue to flatline and in many cases shrink. Um, I think the new consumer behaviors, the new things that we've been through in the last three months is here to stay. And I think it will be deeply embedded in, in, in the culture of mankind and uh, in our human psyche. And of course, if it's an L-shape, I would say guaranteed and we'll never go back to the old ways. Nice. And, you know, you hear people talking about this all the time, you know, retail is completely changed. Uh, who's going to go in the high street, who's going to go into the malls. I mean, I'm not a doom and gloom merchant and I do believe in again, the human ability to innovate and to be creative. Um, but I think the economic outcome and where we are heading in the next, probably three to five years will dictate whether this is just a blip on the radar and we tried out some really cool things where we all survived, or if it's fundamentally gonna be the way that we're all gonna do business in the future.
0: What is your gut telling you in, in terms of the, the recovery shape? Would you say it's a V or a U or an L?
1: My gut. Uh, And all the analysis that I've seen is um, I I do predict more of a a U-shaped approach. I I also think it will be different in different countries and different geographic areas. But I think as a whole, I think the V-shaped is um, a bit wishful thinking. (laughs) And uh, clearly, there's a lot of people that need to say these things because you don't want to say um, the other alternatives. Um, And I think we need to kind of all of us put our own uh, analysis together based on facts and data that we have at our fingertips. But in, in the world that I live, in, and in the businesses that I see,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and me personally, I'm, I'm more in the U-shaped. And uh, I think that's being optimistic.
0: Okay, um, let's stay with behavior. I mean, the question I just asked you was about um, digitalization and how that's changed people's behavior. You mentioned that at the very beginning, um, the changing consumer behavior, and you, you wanted to expand on that. Expand, Mene, tell us, what is it you'd like to talk about in that space um, in terms of their behavior change?
1: Yeah, so this is something that I've been um, really contemplating in my own mind, and I don't have all the answers to this, and I think many of your listeners probably have much much better answers to this, uh, so mm-hmm. we should probably all pull together and see um, where it goes going forward. Um, but the consumer behavior, I'll give you an example um, of where consumer behavior really changed drastically and where a lot of people refuse to believe consumer behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm at that point right now where I'm just really trying to understand what part of the consumer behavior do I believe and what I don't believe before I can actually get it into predict- predicting. And the situation I can reflect on is um, is SMS uh, and WhatsApp in, in the telco industry. You know, I was running some of the largest telco businesses in the world and enjoying a fantastic product and business called SMS that was uh, generating uh, copious amounts of revenue at 100% margin. And within a three to four year period, it completely disintegrated and ceased to exist because it was disintermediated buy a fantastic product called WhatsApp. And there were many derivatives that were similar to that as well. And the denial that consumer behavior has changed or the having the customer insights of understanding what customers actually value and where would they actually change their behavior and what are these attributes that makes a consumer change his behavior are the things that these very bright and sophisticated telecommunications companies just flatly missed. <laughs> there were these uh, fantastic, innovative, creative people in the Silicon Valley that said, I know exactly what customers want, and I know exactly what they value, and I know exactly what they're going to pay for, and I know exactly what they're not going to pay for. And oh, by the way, I think there's another commercial model here on how we can actually satisfy uh, consumer behavior and consumer demand um, and at the same time make money in a different way. And I think that's the challenge I'd like to give to all your listeners is, you know, we've just been through this pandemic. Um, You know, are are consumers really going to flock back to their old ways? Or in this pandemic, certainly from a consumable point of view, is there anything that has changed in, in their behaviors where they've tried something, they're actually quite satisfied with it. They're satisfied with the quality, they're satisfied with the price. They're satisfied for the experience and to be truthful, they'll go back to it. And I think that's that's the thing that I would challenge all your listeners to with um, today's pandemic. And then how can technology really enhance that customer experience going forward? And I'm looking at those things um, with the businesses that I'm running myself. So that's kind of where I am in my thinking.
2: Uh,
1: it hasn't progressed into, oh, by the way, here I got a really good idea, I'm gonna go execute. Um, Again, I, I'd love to talk to you more about that and uh, and maybe hear some feedback from your listeners mm-hmm. on uh, the way they think the future might be.
0: Well, and listeners, please do comment um, on Renee's thoughts and insights into this behaviour in the comment section once you listen to this episode. That would be great. We can get some feedback on that. Um, let's move on. Um, let's look at, uh, until a vaccine is found, whether lockdown is fully lifted or not Um, we have to to get used to a form of working adapt to a form of working that some would argue is not optimal more and more businesses will inevitably fail so now that we know what we know yes we can be critical of um, governments and their reactions to the crisis but let's concentrate um, on the uk or germany or uh, or even the eu in general Um, please pick. i will premise this question by saying we now have to brace ourselves for a major economic downturn that could um possibly surpass even that of the 2008 crisis. The question I have for you, Rene, is threefold. Number one, and, and this is a hindsight question, what should have and could have been done differently to mitigate against the major economic downturn that will happen as a result of this pandemic? Could anything have been done and done for businesses? Question two is what has been done governmentally that has aided some of the businesses organizations that you have close proximity. And the, the, the final question in this little triage of questions is what still can be done to help businesses. And as a result, quell some of the disaster awaiting us, it's a big question. So I, I, if you need me to repeat any of them, please just let me know. I,
1: I tried to write frantically as you were talking. So I'll see <laughs> some of these, uh, these things, but I'll start um, on, on your first one and then kind of yeah. go from there. You may have to, Ask me a specific thing, a little bit uh, yes, yeah question. So, I mean, um, you know, looking back, I think the the big thing um, of any business is if if you actually thought the internet um, doesn't affect your business, you, you you couldn't be more wrong. It doesn't matter what industry you're in or what you're doing, whether you're bricks and mortar, whether you're a services business, whether you're any any business that's out there. If if you don't have a component where you can actually either satisfy your customers or generate income for your business through online, um, that that is a, a huge mistake and you need to go back and kind of relook at the architecture of your business and, and, and get that right. And I think those companies that um, understood that, uh, the better. I have debates with my family members on this topic all the time, but literally I mean every single business, even if you're a restaurant, and um, we all know restaurants need um, foot, f- foot traffic and you need to have people sitting in your restaurant. But every single restaurant that I'm aware of has got a takeaway. <laughs> and uh, it was perfectly fine in the pandemic. Uh, it was very structured, it was very organized. You go online or you call, you place your order and you pick up your food. Even restaurants innovated. I think where it probably is a bit difficult um, for some industries. I'll grant that. It's it's certainly, you know, hotels. We've seen the travel industry get hit hugely. Clearly, you have to sit in an airplane in order to go somewhere or a train, you know, without a doubt. um, We're we're seeing the effect of that and we're seeing restaurants fail left, right and center. We're seeing um, airlines and the travel industry, you know, um, get hit quite hard as well. And uh, those might be the, the exceptions to the rule. But if you look at how technology is actually fully integrated into their business, um, it's there already. And, um, I think when the demand picks up those industries could bounce back a little bit quicker than everyone else because they've leveraged technology. Mm -hmm. If I um, go to your, your government, um, question, I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to get into a particular part of politics if you're on the right or on the left, let's Mm -hmm. just say for, for this debate, that's kind of irrelevant. Um, there were there wasn't a government anywhere that was really prepared for what we're going through on this pandemic, with the exception of perhaps maybe one or two countries in Asia, and the one that I always read about certainly is Korea. And why was Korea a little bit more prepared than everybody else, or maybe Singapore, etc.? Is because they went through a SARS, mm. and uh, the governments were a little bit smaller than some of the big governments here in Europe. They were well prepared, and of course, when the pandemic. Came And if you reflect back on the statistics, um, you know, they did a pretty good job. I hope our government, I hope governments in Europe, I certainly hope the government in America learns from these things and and really prepares um, its people, its nation and its businesses for something like this in the future. I would say, you know, the first time, um, shame on you. The second time, shame on me. So I, I hope there's a massive lesson there. I think the thing that governments did really, really well and really, really well is actually putting together a furlough program. Mm. I think the furlough program has um, really extended um, employment. And um, I think, um, you know, again, it goes back to this V-shaped versus U-shaped versus L-shaped recovery. Um, you, you, You can't have a furlough forever because nobody can afford it. We all know that. And um, although we all recognize that taxes might have to go up, nobody really wants taxes to go up. Let's just be clear about that. Mm-hmm. But something has to pay for, the, for this activity. My fear and the hypothesis I have on the furlough program is that when it's ended, because a lot of companies aren't prepared for the future and, and have not taken this threat seriously and have not prepared for a U-shaped recovery or an L-shaped recovery, I fear that many of these people... Their own furlough will then lose their jobs, and I think that's a disaster. I don't blame government for that. I blame for businesses being ill prepared um, for what we're going through and what we're going what we're going through in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit harsh, but um, I do think you can do proper planning and proper risk planning, and all of us should wake up to this threat going forward. Can you ask me your last question? The
0: well, last question you kind of answered, um, the last question was like, what still can be done to help businesses as a result of quell some of the disasters awaiting us? And um, Just before you answered that, you, you said businesses should have been done more. Wouldn't you class this as almost like a force majeure?
1: Yeah, yeah, it could be. It could be. Um, but I also think... Um, I, again, I think it's terribly naive to think that everything's just going to bounce back to what it once was. Yeah. Um, I've been reading an awful lot about supply chains and how long will it take for global supply chains to to get bounced back and I've heard mm-hmm. different types of um, reports on that. I've read reports from you know twelve months to forty eight months to even longer than that. So I think you know our ability to actually tool up and to get back to where we are, where we were. I think it's gonna take a lot, lot longer than everybody thinks. Remember, certainly for the last three months, people haven't been selling very much. So mm-hmm. annual reports and the uh, earnings reports are yet still to be uh, published. And you know, clearly, I'm sure the stock market has priced in bad news, but what it hasn't priced in is bad news over the next six months. Uh, and if that does happen, um, basically that will give more credibility to my u-shaped and l-shaped um recovery Mm -hmm. which means people aren't going to be buying as much as they used to regardless if it's a product or service which means we're not going to be producing as much which means um the entire working labor force will shift into different skill sets Mm -hmm. and different capabilities and um i think it's a little bit too soon to predict that but i hope there's some people smarter than me that are modeling some of the possibilities of where the future may lie Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: how do you prepare your business for that going forward and does you know let's let's put the you know the question that that nobody really wants to answer are there parts of your business that you should exit are there parts of your business that you know based on what you've been through and what you think the future might be is it uh, sustainable or is this now the best time to kind of shift your strategy a little bit and and get out of things that you think really aren't going to survive if it does happen a u-shaped or l-shaped recovery i hope companies are having those debates internally
2: Uh Um,
1: and again you don't have to be a big corporation to have these discussions you can have these discussions Mm -hmm. uh, in smaller businesses as well Mm
0: -hmm. okay so um let's end on on this question Um, this is post-covid 19. We are going to get there, whether it's six months, 18 months. Uh, None of the conversations I've had, some of the the best guesstimates have been 18 months or the most optimistic have been 18 months. So generally, what does that look like to you?
1: So again, I I fundamentally believe in two fantastic human characteristics that nobody can predict. And it's because of this um, I remain optimistic. And that is I firmly believe in our ability to innovate and to be creative. And it's through humans' ability to innovate and creativity um, that will delight and exceed any type of recovery program that anybody can come up with. I think if you just look at um, statistics sometimes, and if you look at past performance and draw a straight line, it can be um, pessimistic. And the only way to break that pessimism is to be optimistic. So for me, I'm quite... um, chuffed because uh, i'm still in the telecommunications industry i think fiber to the home is going to take off in a big way i think um, technology will continue to accelerate and to bring efficiencies into the marketplace i see some really interesting software solutions out there that look really innovative from a b2b perspective and i see people investing in stuff like that Mm -hmm. and of course um, my own business in virtual stock i think uh, we're absolutely ideally placed to to help people um, grow their businesses and uh, service their customers in a different way, so I plan to stay focused and true to my strategy, and um, I hope all of your listeners have theirs put together as well.
0: Head's talk will have another conversation with you, Renee, and we are looking forward to that. So there will be a part two um, about a specific, very current topic. Um, that you hinted uh, about. I mean, I'm not sure if you want to elaborate on that. Um, uh, I'm sure um, will very much interest my audience. Um, I'll leave them hanging and we will announce this in the near future, but for the time being. René many thanks for your time and insight.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, decision makers, and heads of multinationals.
1: Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter.